Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Great to be with you today. And I'm really excited for our next guest. Uh, Stephen Wonderly uh, is one of the most creative people I've ever met. Uh, a tremendous writer, an extraordinary thinker. Uh, many of you know uh, Steve through his work uh, over the years. He really was the one of the original creators of the Homefront series, the writing spots about family, uh, the, the great line, family, isn't it about time? Uh, he's also written a number of children's books, and that's what I want to talk to him about today. So, Steve, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good to be here. So you got a new book out. Uh, it's a children's book. It's called Dear Moon. Uh, I think it is incredibly timely. Uh, we were talking uh, before the program today that uh, you write these things and they're sort of uh, this lag time of a year or two before they, they come out to be published. Uh, and I actually think Dear Moon is uh, is as timely and important today uh, as it's ever been. And uh, so tell us just a little bit of the backstory about uh, Dear Moon. Well, it's a, it was an interesting process. And the way I write is I'm probably not the most organized way, but I just start throwing down ideas and images and, and and i learned this when i was at uh, bonneville riding these home front spots i would think what would be a visually compelling place to create a, a story and and so i would think of an, a, a place and then i would set a father and a son or a mother and a family or whatever in that place and that became very compelling and then the then the environment starts to dictate how the story goes. Mm. And, and it's like Ray, Ray Bradbury said. He said, you know, I just create characters and follow them around. And <laughs> it's, it's kind of what I do. I'm, I, I, you know, terribly ADD. But I had this idea of these two friends, and I wanted the, this book to be about friendship and about support. And one of them was uh, was in a wheelchair, and I, and, I, and I wanted there to be this closeness. And as I started to write the book, uh, my mother passed away, mm. and I had—I really only had a few sketches of these of these two kids and this idea that they were they were talking to the moon. Um, and when my mother passed away, that's a tough thing. Yeah, no matter how old you are, uh, yeah. losing your mother is a hard thing. And so I, I you know, I had kids and grandkids, and, and the little ones uh, really were close to grandma and. So they had a lot of questions, you know, like, how, okay, how does this whole death thing work? Does she just close her eyes and step into heaven? And I thought that was kind of a cute little comment from one of the littlest ones. And and I realized that this book became about that, about how to talk to your kids about this loss and separation and also about maybe a, a redemption and a coming together and hope. Mm-hmm. So I... I kind of changed course on it and decided that the reason that these boys were trying to stop the moon was because they didn't like where the where the world was going or their world was going uh, because Eli was uh, was getting sicker and sicker and Max didn't want him to leave. So they you know they tried to stop the natural world, which is um, which is what we don't we love to do that, do. right? <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, I want to stop. I want to stop the world where it is and, and, and just kind of do a do-over 
And especially in times like this when things are so uncertain, you really want to stop the world and, and, and go back to maybe where it was better or, or at least enjoy the moment you're in. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work that way. And, and the, and the, the world keeps turning and Eli ends up having to go to the hospital and, and Max hatches this other plan. He just says, he decides that, well, okay, if I can't make the moon stop, I'm going to make it move faster. So that, so, so that my buddy can come back home. And so he tries to scare the moon and, and, and does everything he can. And that doesn't work either. And it, when his friend comes back, he, he's a little more uh, sickly. And, and you can tell that this is, um, this is headed in a direction that's not, you know, going to be a happy one. And they decide to build one more rocket together. And, and this rocket to the moon uh, ends up working and they land on the moon and Eli steps off the, uh, off of the rocket and onto the moon and, and leaving Max alone to deal with his feelings. And I think there's, that's a place where so many kids are right now is that they're in this spot where they're having to deal with their emotions and feelings alone. And uh, it's interesting that, uh, and, and I'll just to end it, so, so Max finds this hope in knowing that his friend is okay and he can always watch the moon and, and, and make sure that he's okay. But there's, it's interesting that as, uh, people have read it and, and come back to me, you know, Christian friends have, have said to me, wow, that is, um, this is a beautiful Christian metaphor. And I, I thought, um, kind of, I guess it is. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm glad that you're finding that in it. Yeah. <laughs> because they say, they say things like, well, okay, so the dog who is ever present and always comforting, that's, that's the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. And, um, and, and the moon represents God. And, and, uh, you know, this, this friendship is a, is the way that Jesus taught. And I say, yeah, that's wonderful that you're getting that. I, I didn't set out to write a book that was prescriptive. I wanted a book where kids and, and families could find themselves in there yeah. and discover their own meaning and their own emotions. And I ha- have a friend that um, is not religious, and he he looked at it and he said, wow, this is really wonderful. It's about hope, and it's about a, a better future, and it's about the heavens smiling down on us. And I thought, yeah, that's – I'm glad you got <laughs> that, that too. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it's an interesting way when you write to write in metaphors that it allows people to discover kind of what they feel and who they are. Yeah, and that's and that that's one of the things that I loved about the book is that you really could take it from so many different points and and whether it's talking about grieving or separation or death or even a pandemic, uh, I think there are so many wonderful lessons in there. I love this uh, approach that you have uh, just in our remaining minute or so here, uh, this idea of just creating characters and following them around. Uh, I think great writing really happens when you do just that, whatever the subject may be. Uh, any other interesting insight as you uh, put this book together uh, that was maybe surprising to you or, or something that you actually learned through the process? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because I, I, you learn something every time you write something. And I'll just leave you with this thought. I spoke at the at the prison. <laughs> there's, there's a there's a segue for you. I spoke <laughs> at the, the prison a couple of years ago, and I said that writing is the beginning of spirituality. Mm. And I encouraged all of those those people there to 
spend the time, as in the men's section, I said, spend the time to write every day, yeah. something, anything. And that will begin your journey back to God. And I honestly believe that, that every time you start to write something that comes up from inside, that that's a divine exercise, and it does help you understand your relationship to God. And I think that's that's how I look at writing, and I, and I hope more people look at it that way. Yeah, that's such, such an important thing. We'll spend a whole, we'll have you back for a whole other segment on just the power of writing. It's uh, it's becoming a lost art, and I think as we lose that, we lose a, a lot of ourselves in that process. Uh, but Steve, thanks so much for joining us again. The book is Dear Moon uh, by Stephen Wonderly. It is a children's book. It is beautifully illustrated, uh, a powerful message, again, dealing with separation or death. Uh, so many just important life lessons in there, especially in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, Steve, thanks for joining us today. You bet. Thank you, Boyd, and I appreciate you having me. That's my interview with uh, Steve Wonderly, and it is such a great children's book. But I, I want to just touch briefly on this idea uh, that Stephen represented about writing and how important that is to all of us. Uh, it really is becoming a lost art form. We're not doing it nearly as often uh, as we should. And I actually think writing with a pen and a sheet of paper is the best way. If you ever want to really clear your head, if you ever want to sh- think really precisely, if you ever want to think really creatively, uh, do it with a pen or even a pencil uh, and a blank sheet of paper. Uh, there is a different process that happens there than even if you're typing something on uh, your computer or tapping it out on your phone or your iPad. And uh, there's something very unique about that that taps into different places and spaces in your brain and in your heart and soul. Uh, and I, I just can't encourage people enough to to do that kind of, of writing. Uh, it is so important. And, again, we're losing it uh, 144 characters at a time. Uh, and a quick tweet or a text uh, may be efficient, but is not always effective. And we need to get back to the effective things, the simple things that uh, really do make a difference uh, in what we're trying to get done. All right, we're going to go ahead and step aside for bottom of the hour break. When we come back, we're going to talk about disruptive innovation in higher education. You don't want to miss this. Clark Gilbert, BYU Pathway Worldwide, joins me next. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts. 